All right, hey, good morning, church. I want to say good morning out to our Stone Canyon Verders campuses and everybody online. And if you're a first time guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. Here at North Garnett, we just got through celebrating our graduates. And uh, uh, who in the world planned for me to preach after my daughter was up here? Oh my gosh, that was. They grow up. Don't do it, Matt. Don't cry. Anyway, all right. Let's, uh, let's keep on rolling here. Um, pull it together. Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been over the last uh, couple weeks. So let's get our Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to be there here in just a second. And uh, as we continue to march through this very important sermon of uh, Jesus, as he uh, shared with his disciples, he had his disciples gathered around him, but also a whole crowd that had come around him wanting to hear from him. I mean, the rumors have been spreading, all kinds of things have been said about this guy. What's he got to say? And so, so far we've talked about that, uh, number one, we're called to a different kind of life. We talked about the Beatitudes, maybe you've heard about those, uh, you know, blessed are those who, da, 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 and they go all the way through that. We talked about that week one, and we're called to a different kind of life because we're part of a different kind of kingdom that has a different kind of a king. All right, and so we're called to different, live this different kind of life. And then last week, Jared Parker brought a message, great message on uh, salt and light. We're called to be the salt and light of this world. We're supposed to spice things up. We're supposed to illuminate the darkness. So not only are we supposed to be different, we're supposed to make a difference. Talked about last week. Well, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to be different? How are we supposed to make a difference in this world? I really think that's where Jesus takes the rest of the message. Is how do we do this? And really what it takes is we have to have a different authority in our life. We have to have a different authority in our life. We have, a, have, a, have to have an entirely different worldview in how we live our life. And who is it that is important? And, and who is it that we allow to, to really call the shots in our life? We have to have a whole different kind of authority in our life. You see, here's, here's the issue, though. <laughs> We're control freaks, right? <laughs> I mean, every one of us, don't deny it. You are. You, you want to control your life. You want to, you want to call the shots. You, know? you want to make every decision for your life. We are. We see that in our kids from the time they're really little bitty. You know, Whenever they're little, they, they want to call the shots. They'll scream about it. And that's why from the time they're little, we're already training them up to, to respect authority and to listen to authority. And let me tell you, not all parents do a great job of that. Whenever I was in youth ministry, I, could, I knew the ones who hadn't been trained up too well with, with uh, respecting authority. And then you met mom and dad, I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> we trained them up early. I, just a couple uh, months ago, I had the opportunity to go with our senior high uh, student ministry to Mexico on a missions trip down there. And uh, all the way down there, and even before we left, we we began to prepare them, prep them for crossing the border, okay? Because that's pretty important, all right? We, we want to both get them in, but we, and, and we want to get them out. Yeah, it's kind of important. Parents like to have their kids back, most of them. Anyway, um, and so on the way down, you know, we're kind of prepping them. Hey, when we get to the border, the border agents, border crossing agents are going to be there, and we need to have the utmost respect for them. This is not a time for joking, not a time for, for uh, taking pictures or videoing or anything like that. You need to be serious as we interact with those agents, all right? Don't mess with them. And so, you know, we, we prepped them, we got them ready. And, and then whenever we came to the border, our van, we, we came, came across the 
border, came into Mexico, and it was the Mexican border agent that came up to our van. And our kids in our van were scared. <laughs> I mean, they were just like, are they going to pull us out and like interrogate us? You know, I mean, they were scared, and it was funny. And, uh, and so uh, the, the agent comes to the door, and, and the kids are Oh, great, he's coming to the door, he's coming to the door. Comes to the side door of the van, he opens the side door of the van. Oh, no, he's at the van, oh, no. And the little Mexican border agent goes, hola. <laughs> and the kids didn't know what to do. <laughs> they were just like, I thought he was supposed to be mean. You know, he's like, you know, he just starts having a conversation. How y'all doing? He says, do y'all have any cigarettes? Got any alcohol? I mean, he just starts joking. And serious, my, all, of our, all of our kids in our van just sit there like, are we supposed to laugh? Because we're not, well, they told us not to laugh. And finally they started loosening up and it was like, okay, he's trying to have some fun with us and, and everything. But it's so funny. It wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what we prepared them for. But they were ready. They were ready to, uh, to have respect for the authorities when we crossed the border there. We all have authorities in our lives. It's just a fact. We all do. We have, we have those in our lives that we look up to. We have those in our lives that, that, uh, that kind of help call the shots, if you will. But we struggle with that because we want the control. We want to be our own authority. You look at our society and you see the signs of this. Watch the news and, and see the people and their treatment of police officers today and see all the, the news about how... Uh, People are running from police, and not only just running from them now, but shooting at police randomly in Chicago. We've had several of those, uh, six so far this year, random just shooting. There's a problem in our nation when it comes to respecting authority. Who is the authority in your life? Who do you look up to? Whose words speak volumes into your life? Do you listen to Jesus in this sermon? Again, he's got his disciples and this crowd gathered around him, and there's an authority that they had been listening to. That crowd that has come around them of uh, uh, no doubt and primarily all Jewish people, they had an authority in their life, and it was the religious leaders. It was the religious leaders that would be the mouthpiece of God in their life. And, and it would be the religious leaders that would explain the, the laws and explain the word to the people. It would be the religious leaders that, that would hold them accountable to the law. Not only would they explain it, hold them accountable, they would even at times, they would expand the law, okay? Add a, adding a little bit more to the law and how we were to act. That's the, that's the group that Jesus is speaking to. And now Jesus, he comes along and, and he begins to point them in a different direction and begins to speak to them about the authority of God's word, the authority of God's word in their life. And he'll unpack this, and we want to just unpack some of this today as we dive into this. Again, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going we're gonna to be at. And we're going to be talking about biblical authority. Now, it'd be really easy to uh, turn this into an apologetic sermon about why we can trust the Bible, why it's a, it's a, a words that we can base our life upon, and, and we are going to get into that in July. We're going to have an apologetic series there, and we've got one whole message. That's what it's all about, but we're not, I'm not looking at apologetics today. We're going to make an assumption today. We're going to assume that the Bible that we have today 
is God's word passed down to us for us to hear from him, learn from him, for us to know him. So it is to be the authority in our life. And, and that's the kind of church that you're in. You're in a church that, matter of fact, our very first core, core value as a church is we, we teach and we live the Bible. That's our very first core value here at this church. That's the kind of church you're a part of. We stand on God's word. But how does it change our life? Well, Jesus, again, begins to address the crowds. There. And man, when we start talking, I mean, here today, we're, we're celebrating graduates. What a great message for our graduates right now. They all just left to go eat. <laughs> They'll be your second service, and I'm going to hammer them, all right? But anyway, uh, but what a great message for them to know where to establish their foundation as they step out in this world. But Jesus starts this message here by, I think, just kind of clearing a few things up. And the first thing that he kind of clears up for them is this, is that, hey, everything, everything points to me. Everything points to Jesus, all right? That's, that's where he takes them first, all right? The, the religious leaders up to this point have been saying, everything points to us. Hey, look at us. Look at our robes. Look at, you know, how awesome we are. And, and, and that's why Jesus came against them so much. But now Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. Everything points to me. Look at verse 17 there in Matthew chapter 5. It says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hear that? He came to fulfill them. He starts off, I love it. Do not think. <laughs> hey, let's change your thinking on this, all right? Do not think about the way you've been thinking about it because you've had all kinds of people as the authority in your life, these religious leaders that have taught you how to think one way. I want to teach you how to, te to, to think another way. Don't think that I came to abolish this because they've been telling you that's what I came to do, that I came to abolish the law. But that's not what I came to do, Jesus says. Don't think that way. You see, like I said, the, the religious leaders had all kinds of other laws outside of what was found in God's law, and those are the ones that Jesus came, came against, <laughs> all their opinions. And so they just made this rumor, if you will, Jesus is abolishing all of it. No, that's not what he came to do. No, instead, he came to fulfill it. He talks about the law and the prophets. That is referring to the entirety of the Old Testament, both the law and the prophets, the first five books, all the other books, all those uh, referencing the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is a glimpse, I believe. He is beginning to give a glimpse of grace. I came to, I came to fulfill them. Th those laws that you grew up with, that, that you've learned, that you've studied, that you've memorized, all those laws, I came to fulfill them. And the way I'm going to fulfill them is how I've been doing it. I have lived them out. You haven't been able to do it. You can't live up to them. You can't walk in obedience to God's law. I have and I will. But not only that, I'll be the fulfillment in that God has established a sacrificial system for those who have broke the law, and I will be the sacrifice. They don't get this at all at this point. Obviously, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but I believe he's given us a little glimpse of grace here. He came to fulfill it. He came to be our sacrifice. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the prophecies, the prophets. Every book in the Old Testament speaks to, points to Jesus. All of them. 
Every one of them, as you read through them, points to Jesus. In Genesis, Jesus is the sacrificial son. Uh, in Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. Leviticus, the high priest. Numbers, the cloud and the fire. Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses. Joshua, the captain of our salvation. Judges, he's the judge and lawgiver. Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. And we could go on and on through all of them. But every one of them is pointing towards Jesus. He says, I'm, I haven't come to, to abolish these things. I've, I've come to fulfill them. I am the fulfillment of these things. One uh, quote, one of the guys on my sermon team sent me this, says, was, we are not asked to believe the Bible, but to believe the one whom the Bible reveals. He is the one that we are to be searching the scriptures to find, to understand, to more fully love and know. Because it all points to him. And again, Jesus says, hey, don't think the way you've been thinking. I want you to think differently about me. We can get off on our thinking, can't we? We can listen to the wrong voices. We can have the wrong authorities in our life. Jesus says, I want you to think different. I want you to see that everything points to me. And so he begins by clearing things up by saying that everything points to me. And now, uh, now, it, it, now I think it kind of says this. You know what? Even if I wanted to abolish the law, it would be kind of silly. Because the next thing he says is God's word is timeless. God's word is timeless. Many try to write off the Bible as this archaic book that doesn't apply to our lives today, but it does. Every instance, everything that we encounter in our life, I believe there's answers in God's word for. Look at verse 18, it says this, for Jesus says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. For truly I say to you, he's saying, hey, this you can count on. This is authoritative, for truly I tell you this, that until heaven and earth pass away, when he talks about heaven and earth there, he's not talking about heaven where the throne of God is, but he's talking about the skies, he's talking about this existence that we're in right now, until all these things pass away, the word of God will continue to move forward, not an iota, not a dot. An iota is the smallest letter in the Hebrew uh, language. A dot is like a mark of a pen. An iota is almost kind of like a, uh, almost a hyphen of sorts. And a dot is just kind of a boop on that. He says, nothing of God's word will pass away until it is all accomplished. Not even the smallest boop, dot of a pen will pass away until it has fulfilled the mission that it was set out to accomplish. Isaiah 40, verse 8, speaks to that when it says there, Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. It's still applicable to us to this very day. The Bible has been passed down from generation to generation. The Bible continues to change life after life. Though many have tried to destroy it, have tried to put it away and speak down to it and explain it away, and, but it just keeps going. 
because not all has been accomplished yet. And so one of the things I believe Jesus is saying here is that the law, God's word, God's law is still in place today. God's laws that we read about over in the Old Testament are still in place today. Now, some of you, if you're a believer in Christ right now, you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't we under grace now? Not under law, but under grace? Yes, if you're a believer in Christ, we are. But that doesn't mean the law is not still in effect. For the unbeliever, it is there to identify sin. Romans chapter 7 speaks all about this. And for the, for the believer, it's, it's there, again, to identify sin. They are still under law and condemned. We are striving to obey the law, but we are under grace. We don't, uh, we don't strive to obey the law to go to heaven. We, uh, we strive to obey the law because we are going to heaven. <laughs> and we want to honor God. It's his law. It's the life that he's called us to live. And it's he, he is our authority. We've placed him in that position of authority, surrendering our life to him. Do we have to obey the law? No, because we're under grace. Are we to obey the law? Yes, because we're under his authority. And we strive to live out a life that honors God, honors Jesus. Kind of makes you feel a little guilty when you begin thinking about the law still in effect. And I think that's the point. It's supposed to. But we have the assurance of grace in Jesus because he's fulfilled it. Verse 19, let's keep rolling. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of a scary verse for teachers and preachers. I don't personally want to be known as least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to speak something that is not truth. So it puts a high call on what we do here on this stage in our classrooms. John 3.1 speaks to that. When James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. People are listening we know that. One of my greatest fears in ministry is, number one, that I will say a mistruth, and I know I have, and I've had to come back and do that. In youth ministry, I used to tell students all the time, hey, don't just listen to me. You go look in God's Word, and you make sure what I'm saying is right, because I can mess things up. I know that. But another fear of mine in ministry is that people will look up at me on a stage and go, man, he's a really good guy. Man, he's just got it all together. <laughs> Let me tell you. What you see on stage is as good as it gets. And that's often not that good, I know. <laughs> I mean, preachers are really good about putting on the facade mask. I'm smiling, you know, I'm... Let's go charge the gates of hell. You know, we're good at that. But I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner just like all the rest of you. We're all sinners. 
had a guy that stopped me after uh, services one Sunday, and he says, hey, Matt, you need to quit telling us about all your faults and all the ways that you're, you're you know, falling short. And uh, I said, oh, okay, you know, and I started thinking about it, and thought, maybe I, maybe I do. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm losing credibility because I'm showing you my faults and the way, way, ways that I fall on my face. As I went through the day and continued to wrestle with that, I thought, who am I kidding? <laughs> I mean, I've got sin just like you all. We've all got it. Jesus' call in this text is to obey it and teach the truth of this word. Again, I don't want to be the least in the kingdom. And I don't think you do either. And so Jesus calls, let's get it right. God's law is forever. And we cannot live up to it. I think that's one of the things Jesus is trying to get across. We can't live up to it. So how do we get to heaven? And I'll just say this, exceeding righteousness is required for entry. Exceeding righteousness is required for entry. Just with a show of hands, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? Okay, just making sure everybody's on the on the same page here. I think I think we all want to we all want to go there. Um, let me ask you this: uh, How many of you are willing to do whatever it takes to go to heaven? Uh, some of you, you're like. See what you're doing there. We should be willing to do whatever it takes. Problem is, there's nothing that we can do to get there. It's already been done. He's already fulfilled it. Jesus has already paid the price. Go to verse 20 there. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is, seems to be pointing at the religious leaders here. I think maybe they're even in the crowd. Some of them are standing around. And, and maybe he's just looking at them. Hey, unless your righteousness, unless your goodness is better than these guys... You don't have a chance. Now, in the minds of all those in the crowd and his disciples who are sitting there, who have been under the authority of the religious leaders and looking up, for them, up to them all their life, when he said that, their collective uh, sigh, the collective response was, uh-oh. You mean, we've got to be better than those guys? The guys who... who Keep the law and even write the law at times. We, we got to be better than those guys. Jesus is making a point. Can't do enough. You see, the righteousness that he's talking about here is an external righteousness. We call it practical righteousness. It's, a, it's, it's how we live our life. It's the things that we do and things that we say. And those who are trying to get to heaven with practical right, righteousness fall short every time. We can't live up to it. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever will, except for Jesus who came to fulfill it. 
I think Jesus goes on in the rest of the sermon. We're going to spend the next several weeks looking at all these things, and he's going to unpack for us what this righteousness looks like, how we're to live this out and help them kind of help us get our arms around this, our minds around what this righteousness even looks like if we're going to try to live this righteous life. But his point again is this, you can't do it. You can't. You can't do it on your own. Virginia Stem Owens is a professor, uh, was a professor of literature at, down at Texas A&M, and, and it was uh, customary for her uh, at one point in her class, her literature class, to to give as an assignment for her students to study the Sermon on the Mount and to write an essay over it. Again, Texas A&M, secular college, and, and she considered themselves that area to be kind of a Bible Belt area still, and, and, uh, and, and this particular year that she did it, she, she kind of assumed she'd get some of the same responses, but she began to go through the papers, and the first paper uh, said this, in my opinion, religion is one big hoax. Oh, okay, all right. And uh, she thought, well, that's one. Let's see where the rest of these go. The, the next paper uh, said this, I did not like the essay, Sermon the Mount. It was hard to read and made me feel like I had to be perfect and no one is. Okay, that student's starting to get a little bit. Okay, no one's perfect. Another student said this, the things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman as adultery? That is the most extreme, stupid, unhumane statement that I have ever heard. As she went through all the papers, this particular year, every paper conveyed similar sentiments as those. And she's a believer. And on one hand, it was discouraging. But on the other hand, she found encouragement. She said, for these students, as they read the words and heard these words of Jesus with their innocent, ignorant ears, they were hearing the words of Jesus much the same way that those in the first century heard them for the very first time and it was offensive it was absurd how can we live up to this this is unbelievable she said that she spoke to the idea that we have settled especially in our nation for a cultural Christianity that glosses over the Sermon on the Mount and the calling of God and the authority of God in our life. And then to some extent, we just kind of feel like we're good enough. We're good enough to get to heaven. And Jesus' point here is you're not. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. He's the one who took on our sin. He's the one who received our punishment in our place. It is in Jesus and through Jesus that we call upon him to put on his righteousness. It's what Galatians 3, 27, when Paul, this apostle Paul is talking there, he, he says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. 
We've put on His, His righteousness. It's, it's not an external, practical righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness, what we call imputed righteousness. It is what we receive by no merit of our own, but it is a gift that is given to us when we surrender to Him, we receive from Him what He has accomplished for us. Then we are righteous. Then, after we receive Him, just like what Paul talks about there in that text there in Galatians, we're baptizing Him, we rise in a new life. And now, I love it, it says we're clothed with Christ. I always get this picture of whenever we come out of the baptistry, when we receive Christ, we're putting on Jesus like a big warm robe. And now, when God looks down on us, He doesn't see Matt in all his sin, but He sees Jesus. In all of his righteousness. And that's the only way we'll get to heaven. Is by receiving from him what he has accomplished. Listen, when we face judgment, God's not going to be asking us for a to-do list. He's just going to ask, what did we do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Is he your authority? When we start talking about the authority of God, it's really easy to begin thinking about the uh, God of the Old Testament, this angry God who, who wipes out nations and like kills people for a technicality. It seems like at times, like, oh, that's a scary God. You know, I'm not sure, you know. Kind of like a Mexican border agent. What's he going to be like? Now, I don't know that we're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, Hola! Maybe. I don't know. But I know this. He is a God that loves us dearly. He is a God that desires to walk in a relationship with us. He is a God that because of the righteousness that we have received in Jesus, He is a God that looks at us and He is pleased with us. Not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus. When you come running to God, he's not, he's not mad. He throws his arms open and he welcomes you. Even with all our filth and our guilt, Here's a statement that just kind of came to me this week because I really wrestled with this, and it's simply this. We are so guilty, but God's grace is so good. We are so guilty, every one of us. We are so guilty, but God's grace is so good. Stephen Brown, a preacher, he he talking about God's grace, said this, the Bible reveals that this grace is amazing, scandalous, free, inexhaustible, mysterious, abundant, irresistible, costly, gratuitous, wondrous, overflowing, and extravagant. It's a wonderful grace. We can never live up to it. But so often we as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes we find ourselves trying to still make it to heaven on our own merit. You know, I've got to show up for church every Sunday because if God shows up on Sunday morning, <laughs> I don't want to be home. And 
He will send me straight to hell. And so we still play this game of I've got to please him. I've got to make him happy enough so maybe he'll let me into heaven. Steve Brown, again, in another comment that he makes, he says there's really something neurotic about a Christian who spends most of their time desperately trying to please God who's already pleased. He's already pleased. When we live that type of life, we we lose our freedom and we often cause others to lose theirs. Jesus came. He's fulfilled the law. He's made a way for every one of us to go to heaven. We are so guilty, but his grace is so good. Father in heaven, it is our prayer that everyone in this place would experience your grace, would know your love, would know your hope, God, that nobody would leave here today without being surrendered to you. God, may you be the authority in our lives. May we surrender ourselves to you. May we surrender our feeble attempts of trying to be good enough and just give it to you, trusting in Jesus. God, we thank you for your good, good grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.